Samuel in 17, we're going to uh, actually not go very far into 17. We've we got some questions answered this morning while we're at this uh, juncture in the Bible. And uh, I think this is a lot of fun. 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17 is the story of David and Goliath that everyone thinks they know real well. Everyone thinks they really know the story of David and Goliath. And so... Uh, uh, teaching the young, uh, young sixth and seventh and eighth grade level. Had about 20 students in the class, and I said, if on a Sunday morning, would you turn to And one of the boys said, I that again. I understand your question. When I say that, I said, what now? He said, oh, David and Wyatt. Well, he knew that much. That's pretty good. He knew that much. And I said, um, yeah, it's the story of David and Goliath. What about it? He said, oh, I don't to do that. you know the story? Oh, who does? He come up this way. He walked up there and I said, I said, you know all about it. I don't. So you teach it this morning. He was a seventh grade boy, and he stood there and looked like somebody slapped him. I said, well, come on, I'm dying. I, I mean, I really think it's a beautiful story. I don't get it. And can I tell you this? Everything we look at in the Bible is a multi-level that we don't get at all. We don't even get most of it. We don't get some of it even. And so he sat down, and I said, okay, then. And after the class, he said, well, that is different than what I knew. Thank you for that. Listen, this is the story of David and Goliath. And the question I have this morning for you is this. Saul was rejected. We looked before, and, and, and King Saul had been rejected. And so we, we, David was accepted. The people chose Saul for king, and he failed. God chose David. And he had a lot of failure in his kingship. He failed a lot. Well, what was the difference? And so we're looking at that this morning. What is the difference between Saul and David? Saul, they chose as king, and one of the things they said was, he'll do battle for us. He'll fight the battle for us. He was a head and shoulders taller than everyone else. Good-looking man that was tall. He was just a big man. And so the people looked at him and said, there's a big guy. He'll, he'll fight our battles for us. And then we have that beautiful passage where it says of, in... Uh, in the 16th chapter, the 7th verse, he says, Look not on his countenance, nor on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And I'm telling you, that's good news. If your heart's right. It's really bad news if your heart's wrong. It's, it's a devastating thing to proud people who believe they got it going on, and they don't have a clue what going on means. And again, people say to me, and I had a guy leave the church one day. He got up and left mid-sermon and went home, took his family and went home. And he gave me a look that was, he told me I'm out of here with his look, and he was. And after church, he called me and he said, man, I can't take any more of that. And I said, what? He said, since I was a boy, I grew up in a poor house. I grew up in a poor home. 
And I, I spent my youth listening to the older people, and I spent a lot of time listening. And he said, I made it big. I have money. He said, the boat I have costs more than my parents' house. I've got money. And you are not impressed with money. He said, I'm telling you, I made it. And you're saying money doesn't matter that much. I'm telling you, money doesn't matter that much. Do you have more than your parents had? Whoopee, 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 good for you. It's not what we have, it's what we do with what we have. It's not where we live, it's how we live there. It's not how we look, it's our heart. Now you people ought to be happy with that news. It's not how you look. <laughs> yeah, whatever. So, God looks on the heart. I've been to so many houses, so many, I've been, I've been in so many homes and with families, counseling, talking, kids are a hot mess. I mean, they got every new thing there is. Everything's shiny and new and the house is one of these great big houses. But the kids, the family is a mess. Now, which would you rather go? To heaven as a unit? To hear well done out of a trailer? Or meet the Lord one day, the whole family and say, I never knew you. Well, you had a lot of stuff. Yeah, I, okay. Yeah, you, yeah. And the outward appearance. The Lord doesn't look on the outward appearance. He's not impressed. By the way, if you have it, he gave it to you. Is that right? That's right. And so what's the difference? So we have now this chapter 17 coming up where David's father, Jesse, says to David, I want you to go now and take these cheese and crackers. I want you to take some cheese and crackers, and I want you to go to the battlefront and your three oldest brothers are there, and I want you to see how the battle is going and come report to me what's going on in the battle. Now, a father with three kids in the battle would have uh, interest in what's going on. My brother went to Vietnam. And I'm telling you, he left one day, and he came back one day. And all the days in between, my dad was a different fella. There was, a, there was a window in our home that looked out. Our driveway was uh, between a quarter and a half mile long. And there was a window that looked right down the driveway. It was my dad's. On, the, on that end of the living room, you can look down. It's a long driveway. And I'm telling you, if there's a little boy looking out the window and your parents turn in down there, eight kids can clean the house while they're coming up the driveway. We learned that. See, there they are. It's like a bunch of roaches. But my dad, every Sunday, I didn't notice it. Chuck did. My brother Chuck did. My dad, every Sunday, it was time for lunch. And it was good. It was chicken or a roast or, you know, Sunday lunch. The rolls were ready. You could smell them. The table had been set. Every Sunday, my dad would walk over that window. Every Sunday. I didn't, I was a boy. I was 10 years old. And Chuck went over one Sunday and said, Daddy's not coming home. Come eat with us. Dad, he's not coming today. My dad had a big deal to him. And every, all of his kids were there on Sunday for lunch. And one of, them, one of them wasn't coming home for lunch. Jesse had three sons in battle and told his youngest son, now you go up there and see what's going on and come tell me about it. He was interested. And when David got there, 
He found out there was no battle to check on. There was no battle going on at all. Twice a day for 40 days, Goliath came out in the morning and defied Israel. He went from, there, were, there was a valley between Israel and, and the Philistines, and in the morning, Goliath would come down to the valley and yell at him and scream at him, make fun of him, make fun of God. He would do that morning and evening. That's 80 times. And when David got there, he got there just in time to hear Goliath come and defy Israel, make fun of God. Saul was a head and shoulders taller and would not fight Goliath. Goliath was nine foot nine. Nine foot nine. That's about, about up there, isn't it? Is that up to that beam, you think, Willie? Oh, higher than that. Higher than nine nine. Bottom of the lights. Bigger than us. Goliath was nine foot nine. It said his his spear was a weaver's beam. That'd be like a four by four to us. His spear was a four by four with a head on it that weighed twenty pounds. Well that'd go through you if you you wouldn't have to chuck it at someone. And David watched him. And David was a teenager. He says, Is that what you're afraid of? You're afraid of that? And his brothers got mad. The king got mad. Everybody got mad at David because David said, What are you afraid of? You're afraid of him? And the king said, You better watch it. And David said, Well, I was watching the sheep one day and a lion came and this big news. He grabbed him by his beard. He said, I killed him. And then one day a bear came and I, I slew the bear. Now I'm going to tell you what. If you killed a lion and a bear, you'd be a pretty confident young man. And David said, I killed a lion and a bear. This guy's nothing. But the key to the whole thing is in one verse, we'll see it later, the battle is the Lord's. He said, I don't have to do it. God killed him. God killed him in front of everybody. Just all we have to do is go out there and believe it. All we got to do is believe it. Now, folks, this is the Christian life. All we have to do is believe it. The Lord does the business. Now, are we, are we to do our thing? Yes, but you know what? Motivated by the Lord, empowered by the Lord, and his direction into the opposition, they'll go down hard. There have been three people in my life that set out to ruin me, and all of them are living today in ruin themselves. All three of them. Three set out to ruin me, and all three of them are living devastation. Two, one of them has died. My prayer was only this. God, give them what they want from me. Give to them what they want from me. I've had opposition in my life come at me, and I say, God, do something, get them busy with something else. Be careful how you pray. One guy came at me, he wanted to destroy me, wanted me, he wanted to take me down for whatever reason, I'm not even sure today, but he wanted to take me down, and I prayed one night for all night long, I laid in bed and prayed, God, give him something else to think about. A week later, a baby has almost died was in the hospital for quite a while. 
and they were told every day, it's not, baby's not going to live through the day. I bet she wasn't thinking about me a whole lot. What do you think? And I met with him, and he said, you did that. You did that to us, didn't you? And I said, I think I did. I do think I did. Get away from me. Listen, folks, if you are a Christian here today, the Lord has got it. He's on your side to his business. Now, am I saying bad things won't happen? The Lord doesn't let things go through and bad things happen. And Yeah, Christians go into bankruptcy and divorces happen and, and bad things happen. Their kids act like idiots and it's, they're not acting. That's true, isn't it? We have trouble like everybody else. But we know something the world doesn't know. The Lord knew about this a long time ago. And it's going to be all right. So here's what we're looking at this morning. What's the difference between David and Saul? Why did God reject Saul? And why did God accept David? And so I want you to turn with me now to the book of Hebrews in the back of your Bible, most of the way toward the back, the book of Hebrews, in chapter 2. Hebrews in chapter 2. So Hebrews chapter 1 opens up and it, it, it's uh, talking about Christ and he's better than everything ever created because he's the creator and he's higher than the angels. And verse 1 of chapter 2, and there's, there was no chapter divisions when these things were written. These were letters. And so it says in, in verse 1 of chapter 2, we ought to give heed, therefore, because of the, what the first chapter says, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Why did David do better than Saul? Because of the things, because of the gospel, because of the Bible, because of the teaching of the Word of God, because of that, we ought to give a more earnest heed, pay special close attention to the things that we've heard, unless at any time you'll let them slip. Now listen, that, that is a, that's a statement. Do you know what we in this church have heard? All of that. God's Word, His teaching. His commandments, His doctrine, these are not suggestions. I, I'm telling you this morning, the difference between Saul and David was, David gave more earnest heed to the things which he had heard and did not let them slip. I'm not saying he didn't sin, but I'm saying this, when he did sin, he repented like no one else. He repented. Saul got more arrogant. Saul, did you do that? No. Did you do that? No. Well, then how come I can hear? Well, I did that. Well, did you do the other? No, I did the other. Well, why is that guy still alive? Oh, I didn't kill him. 
Incomplete obedience, in God's opinion, is disobedience. When I was a boy, the, most of you here were raised with, a, with a parents, and we were instructed on what to do. If we did some of it, was that good enough for the parents? It wasn't at my house. Some of it was not good enough. My job was to feed the young calves and the chickens and, and gather eggs and, and water animals and whatever. What if I decide one night the bulls are not thirsty tonight? I'm going to feed the chickens and, and call it a day. I got to go down there and feed the bulls and water the bulls with a hind-end glow and my pockets were hot. My dad had a razor strap that he quit using to shave with and Chuck and Bob buried it one time and he caught his toe on it carrying something and they buried it along the sidewalk and dad was carrying the freezer backwards and he caught his heel on something and he pulled it up near the razor strap. He knew who buried that and so they were the first ones that put it back in use. My dad had a razor strap, he hung it by the back door. Razor strap has a little buttonhole in it and you hang it on a little nail by the back door. I always wonder why I didn't hang it by the front door. Hang it by the back door because the minute you had it used on you wanted to go outside and get some fresh air or sit in a bucket of water. But incomplete obedience at our home growing up was disobedience. How about you? Yeah. Did you do what I asked you? If you said some of it. <laughs> but that's, listen. We do that with God every day, and we think we're really something in his, in his book. We think on his list we're really something. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed, pay, pay strict, close attention to the things we have heard, lest at any time we let it slip. Dad, you tell me to do that? Yeah, uh, I guess I forgot. That didn't fly. Now, you people, I preach this stuff, and you think, your dad was mean. No, he was, he was really good. You know what I learned from my dad? Here's what I learned from my dad. God loves me, and he means what he says. My, my ultimate authority loves me enough to not let me stay in the, in the state I'm in, to want better for me, better of me. He loves me that much. He said, I love you where you're at, but I'm not, I'm not going to let you stay like that. And he says this, I mean what I say. If you don't do it, the conditions will be met. Now, my dad said, if you don't do that, I'll whip you enough that we knew what, he didn't have to say it every time because we knew what the, well, you knew, didn't you, Finney? Hey, if you, if, Marilyn Finney had the same kind of background, but Marilyn, their parents did it different. Is that right? The discipline was different. You didn't want to disappoint your dad. You were afraid of him. I had both going on. A man came to our house one day and said, your kids are afraid of you, Dad. I said, they should be. I heard every one of them on a regular basis. He said, I heard them. They know it. And one, one old guy came and said, your kids are afraid of you. He said, man, you start talking, they jump up and start going while you're telling them what to do. And he said, that takes years of training right there. And he'd pop you on the back of the head or the pants as you were leaving, just playing with you. But he'd go, get gone, go do it. And you know what he expected when we left? He expected us to do it. I was one of the younger ones, and I was pretty well pampered, I'll give you that. My, 
Thank goodness Chuck moved away. Now I can preach the gospel with freedom. The bully is gone. Huh? No, and Connie's with him this weekend. I was free today to tell what I want to tell. I was, I was absolutely coddled as a child. But I was also made to do what I was told to do. Because I watched the older ones. And if my parents could come in here for five minutes, five. Haven't seen my mother since I was four years old. Gone out of my life. If they come in today and sit there, I'd excuse myself from your company and talk to them. If I had five minutes, I would thank them for the discipline. Thank you for caring enough to stop me. Here I am. I'm a four years old. You don't remember much. I don't remember very much of my mother, but I heard stories, and I don't know. And I thought Dad was a brick wall. And they said, brick wall? You didn't mess with Mom. I said, Mom was worse than Dad. She said, Mom would shred you. And when Dad came home, <laughs> he'd pour salt on it. He said, you make your mom stop and whip you. And here's what he said every time. You knew what to do, and you made my girlfriend stop what she was doing. I mean, taking care of you, making your beds, washing diapers, hanging the laundry out. You made her stop. To... Really? He said, you messed with my girlfriend while I was at work. He said, it's going to cost you. That'd be your first whipping. They say, now this is for the actual crime, for what you did. He whipped you again. Can I tell you this? We tried not to do those things too often. You know how the Lord whips us? Our life doesn't go too well. We get outside the blessing and things don't go too well. You get outside the blessing, you live there very long and... David was a year outside the blessing. David was one year outside the blessing after he slept with Bathsheba and had a baby, killed the man, had the man killed, murder, adultery, fornication, lies, stealing. He did a, he, he broke every commandment with Bathsheba you can break, and he wouldn't confess it for one year. And David, read the Psalms, he said, my bones are dried up in me. I'm dying here. I'm the king, but I don't live in the blessing anymore. What happened? And the Lord said, you know what happened. You know what happened. And by the way, that baby died. One year later, David writes Psalm 51. Against thee and thee only have I sinned. And I've heard preachers say he wouldn't even confess then, but that's the absolute confession. If I sin against you, if I harm you, I'm sinning against God because you're his. Don't you know that when your kids are getting hurt, they're, they're sinning against you? <laughs> Immediately, you go right to mama bear mode. I do. It depends on what you're doing. My kids need some correction from time to time, and but you don't abuse them. Yeah, I'm telling you this morning, if you had parents that kept you in line in any fashion, and I don't mean abuse. If it's abuse, that's wrong all day long. But if your parents love you enough to keep you in line and teach you those things, you live in a blessed home. Blessing to know. There's authority above us. There's authority bigger than me. My dad hasn't. Uh, my dad hasn't been here at all since April of '72, and I still consider what he would do when I'm making my decisions in life. When I make my choices and decisions, I still think, "What would my dad do?" He was pretty good. 
never had my dad to go to as a young man or middle-aged man, never had a conversation with him as an adult. But I think in, in myself, I wonder what dad would do here. And then you know what I got, you know what I do with that? What did my dad do? And I do that a lot of times. So we have this. We ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. The things that you know about the Word of God, think about it. I mean, give earnest heed, serious pause, reflection on the things that the Bible says. Because if you don't, we're going to let them slip. Lest at any time we should let them slip. Now look at verse 3. How? How shall we escape then? How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard. Folks, this is going to take some time this morning. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation is a rhetorical question. There is no escaping the neglecting of salvation. Now, I preached that in my young years, and it's very clear what it's saying, and I preached that just straightforward all my young years. And then I started watching Christians, and I started looking at myself in the mirror and, and reflecting on my behavior, my uh, attitude, my words, and my thoughts. And I found out, I believe this is true, because the Bible is multi-level. I'm telling you that. The Bible is multi-level. You can neglect salvation and not get saved. You can neglect salvation to the uh, point of not getting saved. You can go to church. You can be a church member. You can tithe. Uh, you can identify yourself with the church. You can read your Bible. You can listen to sermons online or on radio or television. You can do all those things and neglect to be saved. That doesn't, none of those things save you. The information is there on how to be saved if it's a, if it's a proper message, but none of those things save you. And so you can neglect even being a churchgoer to be saved. Saved is a humility that says, I can't, you, God can. He did, I didn't. He is willing to take all of my sin and transfer his righteousness to me and my sin to him and cover all of my sin with his blood called the atonement. That's what salvation is. A lot of people never come to that place where they put their pride down and humble themselves and say, I need a Savior. The hardest one to bring to that is men, and particularly young men. Arrogant, cocky young men. Chest puppy young men. I can do it. I can do it. And uh, you can't do it. No one could ever do it. But young men have something built in. and and. In some ways, it's not their fault early on in life because God gives men this protector, provider attitude that says, I'm going to go out there in the world and bring back something to eat. I'm going to go, I'm going to go get a, make some house payment money today. I'm going, to take, I'm going to go provide for my family. That's God-given. The misuse of that, the abuse of that is to say, I don't need God. The right way is, I'm going to go do this thing with God helping me clearing the path, blessing my day, and then when I bring the money home, the goods home, the furniture home, the car home, when I bring these things home, it's with God's blessing. 
they'll last longer, run better. They'll still think they're burning $4 gas. California gas right now is almost $12 a gallon. That'll slow down some summer vacations, won't it? Slow mine down. Gas is costing as much now as bottled water. I mean, it's bad. It's rough. The man who will not bow to Christ will never get saved. Go to church all your life. Church is not a is not a uh, not a, a balm for the wound. It doesn't it doesn't uh, make everything better because I've been there. God's not a, impressed with that, particularly that you go to church. Not impressed that you leave money in the plate. God's not broke. God doesn't want your money, particularly He wants your heart. He doesn't want your attendance as much as He wants your presence. Does that make sense? He doesn't want your body just to be here. He wants your presence in worship to Him. He wants you to come here and say, this sounds crazy, but people need to do this. You're God and I'm not. It's a big statement. You're God and I'm, I'm simply not God. I'm, you know a lot of people don't know that. They're on the throne. They're in charge. <laughs> and you can hear them talking. You can hear it in their talk. And so how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? First problem of that is neglecting to get saved. The second problem is getting saved and neglecting the lifestyle that you should have as a Christian. This is what baptism is all about. Identification with Christ saying, I now am going to be your witness in this world. I identify with you. I identify with you. Please don't say this as a political statement, but I'm going to say this to you. If you are a Christian walking with Christ, you'll vote the Bible. I don't care what the agenda, you'll vote the Scripture. That's your heart. If God said, thou shalt not, and it comes up on the ballot, we want to? Nope, the answer says no. If God says we shall, and they say we don't want to, they say well, we want to anyway. I vote yes. I vote no. I vote whatever. I'm voting Bible. Well, if you keep preaching politics, I'm not coming back. Well, if that's politics to you, you don't need to come back. You're not getting it anyway. Here it is, folks. How shall we escape? How are we going to face the Lord and come out on the good side of that if we neglect to live like a Christian? If we neglect so great salvation? I'm telling you, you know people that are saved. I'm telling you that you and I know people that are saved. And the only way we know it is they tell us that. There's not a thing in their life. They live their life. They, they ignore God. They go to church occasionally. They uh, don't read Bible to study it. They don't care about sermons. They don't study the Word to see if I'm in God's favor or not, if I'm in the will of God. Don't particularly like to talk about it. You think they're going to hear from the Lord, well done? They think so. Everyone that I know, and I'm one of them, got saved when they were 10 years old. Everybody I talked to, got, they walked the aisle and made a profession for Christ somewhere, either a church or a, or a Bible uh, camp, at 10 years old. 99% of them, you'd never know it unless they make that statement. They don't talk about the Lord. They don't particularly share with people. They don't have a heart for Christ. They don't vote scripturally you know how most people vote and they'll flat tell me their wallet they vote most people vote what they think will further them economically 
folks, the Lord said no. He said, what, the, what your government that you picked out, and I don't think we pick them out anymore either, but I'll tell you this. Um, he said, the government that you pick out is not there to help you and make you rich. The Lord said, I make rich and I make poor. If you, if you live in God's blessing, it doesn't matter who's in office. It doesn't matter who's anywhere. It doesn't matter who's in your, your office at work. If God is blessing you, no one can stop it. And if God's withholding a blessing, no one can start it. It's in God's hand. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? We can't. You can't escape. If you, if you neglect to get saved, you're going to go to hell. If you get saved and neglect the lifestyle, you're going to be unrewarded at the judgment seat. There's a lot of Christians walking around in the world today who won't go to church and they don't follow Christ. They don't tithe. They don't read the Bible. They'll go to heaven. But they're going to go almost naked because the garments, you read it in the 19th of uh, Revelation, the 11th verse, we'll be clothed with the righteousness, righteousnesses, it's a big word, a lot of S's in there, the righteous acts are what we're going to be clothed with. When people see us after the judgment, they're going to know how we live this life because of the adornment to our robe. Now, I personally believe that's for the millennial kingdom only. And when after the thousand years we all go to heaven, heaven, see God, heaven, we'll all be the same. But for the thousand year reign, the millennial reign of Christ, the thousand years when Christ comes back here and he reigns, some people are going to be closer to him and some are going to be farther away. It's going to take a thousand years to work their way to the throne of Christ. Those are the people who live their life for them. And the Lord says, and you read it in Ezekiel, the, third, the uh, 40th to the 41st chapters, the last, particularly last four chapters of Ezekiel, you read it, and it said, who are those, who are those that are going to walk up to the prince and feed him, touch his face and his mouth? You imagine touching, you imagine that? Feeding Jesus, being his cupbearer, Lord, here. Who's going to do that? And the Lord says, the sons of Zadok. You go back and, and when David, and it's talking, this is all symbolic. When David was king and, and people came in and said, we're going to kill you. And everybody fled. And David was in the, in the palace all by himself. And, and the sons of Zadok, the, the priests of Zadok were there, the line of Zadok. And he said, you guys better go. They're going to come in here and slaughter everybody. And David said, I deserve it. Go. And they said, we will not. We're going with you. It's what Peter said to Christ, but he failed. The sons of Zadok didn't fail. They said, we're going to surround you, and we're going to defend you until we're dead. And if we die, uh, they'll get you, I guess, but they haven't come through us to get you. And the Lord said, in the millennial kingdom, those saints of mine, those Christians who stood for me and would not, would not go down, they're going to be my cupbearers in my right hand. They're going to be the ones who bring me and do my errands. And the rest of the saints are going to have to watch and learn and see what it looks like to really love the Lord. Not with your mouth, with your heart. That's what I really mean. How shall we escape? Why was David different than Saul? I think he understood those two verses. Now look at Revelation 6. Uh, 
we're, we're in that in the morning hour, not today, but we're in Revelation 6. And if you'll go there, everybody can find Revelation 6, the back of your Bible, the last book, 6th chapter. And this is after the, the fifth and the sixth seal are opened. The judgments began. And it says in verse 16 of chapter 6 of Revelation, And said unto the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth upon the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? When the Lord comes back, folks, this, this is big news for us. When, when, uh, when the Lord comes back, He's going to come back. He's coming here one day. He's going to come back. That's going to be a great day. All the scoffers, all the arrogant pigs in the world who make fun of us and call us all kinds of names, all the people who demand to kill and slaughter, and all, all those people who say we don't care what God said. Folks, we went to dinner on Friday night. Was it Friday night? The world's in total rebellion against... God's plan. The people were there were not, there was uh, two-thirds of them. No gender, they would show you no gender. There was no gender shown. It was a complete mix. The guy with the two top thought, what? Well, it's just what's going on. See, God's, God's plan is clear and it's laid out. That's the things we should take heed to unless we let them slip. God's plan. He, he said this. This is really strange. Listen closely. He made male and female. And he said male and female get together and they produce a little one. That's God's plan. Can I tell you that still works? But now we have men ovulating and menstruating. We ha we, we're supposed to have that. I don't know who those are. But according to science, we have men now who ovulate and menstruate. They'll be in beauty school. <laughs> They'll be in beauty school. These folks are going against God's plan. And here's what I want to tell you. If you have family members, if you have friends, acquaintances, I don't care who it is. We love them. We, I got that. But they go against God's plan, they will be totally annihilated. There's, there's, a, there's no level of destruction that we can think about that is going to compare to what they go through when they meet the Lord. Total annihilation. When the Bible says, woe unto me, Woe is sudden destruction and that without remedy. That's when the Lord says, you want it your way? My way is life. Everything God does is prolific, creative and prolific. Everything man does, what does it do? It kills. It's toward death. Everything man decides is better than God's program brings about death. It's anti-creation. Now, it's a big statement, so you've got to get that. Here's the thing. If we neglect salvation, and if we neglect those things which we have heard and let them slip, I know your kids, my kids, I know it. I know, I know how we feel about them. But if they neglect these things, and they have their own ideas, and their own thoughts, and they don't want to be put in this group or that group, and they think I'm, I'm going to just be uh, open to everything, an open brain, an open mind, your brain will fall out of an open mind. It'll just fall out of there. You'll have no thinking at all. 
And here's the answer. If God said no and you say yes, who's going to win that battle? I learned as a child that doesn't work. I had a man arguing with me not long ago in my chair, and we were fairly quiet about it. The room was basically empty. It was late in the afternoon one day, arguing Bible with me, and I said, I have three granddaughters below five years old that could out-talk you with good sense. Folks, to say no to what God says yes to, or vice versa, is a losing proposition. Anybody here ever anybody here ever went against God and wish they hadn't later? Me, I'll tell you right now. When God said to me clearly in my heart and in my spirit, don't do that, and I said, I don't want to. He said, I don't want you to do that. And I said, I got a better plan. Because when you're 21, you're smart. And particularly if you're a male, you're a genius. 21-year-old male is just about the ultimate. I'm gonna show God how to do this one. I want to show the Lord how to do this. Lord, he said, no, I want you to do that. I said, I want to. He said, you don't want to. And I look back at that because my dad used to go, what now? <laughs> did, did you just say that? Because I'm going to render you incapable of speaking here in a minute, so I want to hear all you got to say. I said, Dad, I decided not to do it. One time I told my dad, I decided not to do that. He said, you decided, did you? <laughs> oh, it took me a month to heal. I made, a, I made a decision. That was one of the worst days of my life at that point. I thought, I don't want to live in this house anymore. I'm going to run away. I'm going to kill myself. You know how you get real drastic when you're a kid? And Dad said, well, do all you got to do, but next time, do what I told you. I'm going to whip you harder. And so I ran out in the woods, and I sat there for about three hours, and I got real hungry, and I, I was pretty sure I could smell a peanut butter sandwich. Can you do that in the woods? I don't know. So I came back home. Well, let me tell you this. When I was 21 years old, God told me to do something. I know for a fact he told me to do it, and I told him no. It took me seven years to get over it. And my getting over it doesn't mean he changed. It means the punishment was finished in seven years. I can't imagine all these people walking around telling God they don't have to all the time. I can't imagine their future. But they think because I have this and I have this and I have these things and I have these nice things that God is blessing me. No, he's, let, he's giving you rope. And you're going to hang yourself sure, sure you can. Now, you know the Lord? You're saved? And you have all these things? It's his blessing. He's just blessing you. The only thing about the blessing of the Lord is he expects us to share it. And this is the most sharing church I've ever been part of. We are a given group, and I'm, I am, in the, in the truest right sense, I'm very proud of that. People come up to me after a sermon or call me at home, text me, walk in, and say, we, somebody, so-and-so has a real problem. We'll help them. And we help them. We do what we can. You people are good givers. We thank you for that. And we don't, it doesn't cost a lot to be here. You'd think this surrounding would be expensive. Not, not too bad. This white pounding is paid for, I think. It's blonde. By the way, they're going to put a they're going to put a sun filtering shade on those windows. They got them on order, and so we'll be able. To... I asked for it and asked for it and asked for it, and then the girl who's in charge here came to a meeting here one night. She said I had a migraine when I left because of that window, and I said, "Yeah." I mean, I know I blocked most of the light, but uh, not so much. 
One more burst. No, no, we're done. Time's up. We'll finish. How shall we? How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? In case you weren't listening, we're not going to escape that. You don't escape it when you neglect to be saved, and we're not going to escape the judgment when we neglect to act saved, when we, when we are saved. And this, by the way, today, later, we're going to have baptisms. That's just identifying with Christ, saying, I want to I want identify myself when Christ died for me. He was buried and rose again the third day. That's what baptism pictures. And the Bible says, when Jesus was baptized, he went down into the water and came up out of the water. And so me sprinkling you is not, that's not the same picture. It destroys the tithe. Other churches do what they do. I'm not here to beat them up. But the Bible says it's a picture of, of death to self, buried the old man's buried, and risen to a newness of life. Now I have a different Lord. Not me anymore. It's him. I'm not in charge anymore. It's him. Now that's salvation, folks. We're not in charge anymore. It's him. Got it? That's what the next sermon's about. That's what the sermon's about this morning, so we'll talk about it more. Zach, would you close us? The sixth chapter of the book of Revelation. And if you're asking me, did you know you read that the last two Sundays? Yes, I did. Or I, we didn't, last Sunday we preached on, on uh, we looked at baptism. But we're back into the opening of the seals. And we're going to do some background here. But I want you to know some things. And so we're going to do some background. But it says, I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, as I heard the word of noise of thunder, and one of the four beasts saying, Come see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red. Power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth. And that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. And when he opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come see. And I beheld, lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see, thou hurt not the oil and the wine. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death. And hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and offend our blood on them that dwell on the earth? 
And white robes were given to every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. And I beheld, and we had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth, even as a fig cast her untimely a fig tree cast her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, every free man, hid themselves in the dens and the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us, hide us from the face of him that sitteth upon the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Let's pray as we begin, if you would, with me. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank you now for this time that we have. And we ask that you would open our hearts, our spirits, our minds, and our souls to proper and true understanding through your Holy Spirit. That you would teach us, that we would be willing and, and able to receive the truth from your Spirit. The cares of this life and the things that concern us, we pray that you would help us to push out at least for this hour, and listen to you. And Father, as we hear you, as we hear the words of our Lord and the teaching of the Holy Spirit, help us to incorporate into our lives these truths, that we might appropriate these things in such a way that our lives would be changed and the world would see it. Because if the world sees it, Lord, that's a witness of who you are and who we've become in you. And so we just give you praise and honor and glory and adoration this morning, thanking you for who you are, thanking you that these things which are now prophecy to us will one day be a history as truly written and executed as the words on the page. Father, we thank you for the truth of it now. We thank you that we can know and the peace that we gain from knowing that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so we have in this book... And the more I teach the Revelation, and this is my third time through, and I'm gaining uh, insights every time, I get comments along the way that help me to understand where the people are that I'm talking to. And so I want to go through a little bit of a background as the seals are opened here and just talk to you a little bit about this this morning so we're all on the same page as we look through the rest of the book of Revelation. Now, beginning with Revelation 6... Beginning with six years, the seals are open. It's what's known as the day of the Lord. That's what's happening, the tribulation period. This is what's the day of the Lord. Now, what many people don't know or haven't uh, heard before maybe is the day of the Lord begins with the seven years of tribulation and also includes the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth known as the millennium. That's the day of the Lord. Now, listen, it goes... Um, it ends now, it ends with the great white throne judgment before which all the unsaved of the world will stand. 
Now, a lot of people, as I understand, as I am coming to understand it, don't know the chronological order of the book of Revelation. And if you don't understand some of these things, it's not going to make much sense. But there is, there is an unfolding of the truth of the book of Revelation and the action caused by the opening of the seals. And then sometimes the information is interrupted in a parenthetical teaching that adds to understanding of these things, but it's not particularly chronological. And so we're going to look at that just a little bit this morning, but this time that we're looking at, and the great white throne is in the 20th uh, chapter of the book of Revelation, it says, and the rest of the dead. And before that, you have in Thessalonians, uh, as, as I go to gravesides and I read this, and it says, those who have died in Christ, in Christ they died. And we go to the 20th chapter, and it says, the souls of them who died for Christ, for his testimony. That's the church and everyone who's ever been saved through the history of the martyrs and, and the Old Testament people. And then you go to Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11 or so, and it says, And I saw the rest of the dead. Now these are all the folks who have not been redeemed by the blood of Christ, and they're facing the great white throne judgment. We don't face that judgment. We are at the Bema Seat judgment for rewards and loss of rewards, but our soul and our eternity is not on the line. That's not in judgment. On the, at the great white throne, the lost, the, the unsaved, they stand before the Lord. And we see the last part of this chapter, chapter 6, from verse 12 to 17, those verses. That is what chronologically is going to happen to the great white throne. The men are going to say, mountains and rocks fall on us, for he that sets up on the great throne, we want to be hidden from the wrath of the Lamb. All of the people who live their life exactly how they want to, they don't have time for God, they don't need God. Matter of fact, they mock God, and many will persecute the children of God. When they really meet the Christ one day, they're going to ask the mountains and rocks to fall on them and hide them from God, because the wrath of the Lamb has come. Now, you and I all know some of these folks. And i got to tell you, I, I understand in verse 9 here, when the, when the fifth seal is open, and it says, And I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, How long, O Lord, will you not avenge our blood from them that took our blood as, for being Christians on the earth? Here's a fascinating thing. And one of the things I want you to know, I believe anyway, is this. God gave you something that you need to hone, which is an imagination. Not Imagination is like a sex drive, a, a thirst, a hunger, or anything else God gave. It can be used in the wrong way. An imagination can be used for wrong and nefarious purposes. But God gave it. It's a good thing. And he wants us to look into the word of God and just use our imagination. Now these souls are under the altar. And a robes were given unto these souls. It doesn't say they have bodies. It says, as a matter of fact, they don't have bodies. Isn't that interesting? That robes were given to these souls. White robes were given. Every one of them. And it was said to them, now rest for a little season. Because the time is not yet. Now the Bible says that the Lord knows the, last, the Lord and time will culminate and only the Lord will know who the last soul that will be saved when that soul comes in that's, that's, that's the last one. Now I got to tell you what 
I understand both sides of that. Wouldn't that be something to have the Lord say, he opened the seals, all this is happening on the earth. The seals have been opened, the horsemen come. And listen, when you look at these horses, you see a color of a horse and a rider. Now the, the, the color applies to the horse, not the rider. The color applies to the horse and not the rider. It represents not the character of the rider, but the nature of the work that's to be done. Right. It's not the character of the rider. The rider is just is on a horse and symbolistic. It's a symbol of what's going on. And so we look through this and we see the white horse, and that's the, the false, that's the antichrist, that's a false Christ, that's a that's a sad imitation of the chapter 19 when the Lord comes back on a white horse. But he's given a crown and he's given a a, a bow. The bow has no arrow, so it'll be a cold war. It'll be, he'll come offering a false peace. And the uh, crown is not a, uh, it's not a crown of sovereignty at all. As you look at the words, it's a victor's crown for sure. But the Antichrist is going to have some victory. He's going to win a lot of people. But it's not the crown the Lord's wearing, which is a sovereign crown. It's a different diadem. It's a different word than diadem. It's Stephanos. Die them, they're different words. But Christ is not, not going to be wearing that kind of a crown. He will not have a bow, but he'll have a sword, and it'll be a sharp two edged sword. And so, as these seals are opened, what happens is there's a constant, at this time, there's a constant worship session around the throne, and as the only one now prepared and willing and able to open the seals, opens them. He's the the executor. Christ is the executor of God's will. This is the last will and testament of God the Father. It is a title deed to the earth and all all that is. And Jesus Christ comes back and he is the executor of the will of God the Father. And so he's able and willing to do it. Um, He's the conqueror in Christ. This is called the time of Jacob's trouble. And as you understand from the 32nd of Genesis that um, Jacob's name was changed to Israel as he wrestled with the Lord there all night, it's also called the time of Israel's trouble. Now the seven years of tribulation, uh, actually, these formed these the 70th week of the book of Daniel, the prophecy of Daniel. The seven years of the tribulation are a fulfillment of the prophecy of Daniel, which he called the 70th week. And uh, I say that because it, it makes it make, it comes alive if we understand how it fits together. Sorry. I mean, it'll be joyful reading instead of, well, I don't understand that, but I guess so. It's what it says. The seven years of tribulation is the fulfillment of the prophecy in Daniel of the 70th week. And... Uh, the events of the 70th week of Daniel also recorded in uh, uh, chapter 6 through 19 here of Revelation. 6 through 19 are the chapters of the book of Revelation that when Daniel speaks of the 70th week, this is the movement and the fulfillment of that prophecy. Now, it's also covered, if you'll look, and as you'll remember, in Matthew uh, chapters 24 and 25, uh, when the Lord came and said, Beware, take heed, 
and watch for these things. These are the things the Lord was talking to to his disciples on the Sermon of the Mount. And uh, it'll make, it just makes more sense if we understand these things. Now, if you go back and we, we go back to the organized rebellion, the first time rebellion was actually organized was in the 11th of Genesis at the Tower of Babel. You remember that? The people came together, and the Bible says they all had one language. And they came together, and the Lord looked down and said, there's, if they get together, we, we, there's nothing they can't do. And he said, so they got together in an organized religion and an organized uh, rebellion against God. It wasn't the first rebellion against God. It was the first organized rebellion where that many people came together. And you'll find there that uh, Nimrod was the spearhead of that one. Now, Nimrod, absolutely against anything that was good and godly. His wife's name was Semiramis. Now, Semiramis was a uh, loose woman, very loose, and that's being kind. And Semiramis, after Nimrod was killed in battle, and too long after he was killed in battle, was impregnated. And she had a baby. And she said, this is the reincarnation of Nimrod. Oh, yeah. But anyway, it was the beginning of the, of the false cult of the mother-son religion that would mock Christ and Mary. That's the background of that. Babel. And I tell you that because we're going to the 17th and then 18th of Revelation, and it said the mystery Babylon. So it's what, what began in, Revel, in, in Genesis comes to an end. What was born in Genesis comes to an end in Revelation, and it all comes full circle. And so we look at these passages, and it says now, in chapters 1 through 3, we saw that, that Christ was, was uh, revealed and that he spoke to the churches. He was revealed as the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Savior and intercessor of the churches. In 4 and 5, we see him no longer walking among the church, the lampstands of the church, but has been removed from the earth because of the rapture that had taken place. Now, when we talk about the rapture taking place, here's what the Bible says. The restrainer, the Holy Spirit, is going to go at the same time. Now, folks, if, if, if you think it's bad now, and I think it's bad now, Amen, brother. I think this world dark. I think evil is, is out there and so loud and so open and so willing to be seen and heard now. Matter of fact, not looking around in the alleys and in the back ways anymore, it's in the streets with signs protesting, demanding to be heard, demanding to be recognized, and demanding to be uh, moved into places of authority. No longer just saying we want equal rights, just saying we want control over everyone else. That's the darkness that's taking place. That's the evolution of darkness in our world. But the Bible says, you think that's bad? You think that's bad? You wait till this time comes when the Holy Spirit comes and snatches away the church and the Spirit's influence. Now, the Spirit will still be here, but the influence of the Holy Spirit will be taken out of the world. Anytime you and I have a thought where we could be good or bad, and the Holy Spirit says, don't do that. For all of us who, who follow the Spirit on that particular time, that's his influence making this world a better place. Some of us listen, some of us don't. We don't all listen all the time, but we, we get our stuff in. 
but his influence is here. Isn't this interesting what Jesus said and, and the prophecies and the things that Christ said? He said, now listen, you, church, you now that are born again, you're two things in this world. You're the salt and the light. Remember him saying that? In, Rome, in uh, Matthew 5, 13, 14, whatever. He said, you're the salt and the light. What does salt do? Salt preserves. And so we're restraining God's judgment. We being here, the church being here, and so ignorant are the evil people that want us gone. We being here, the church being here, we're the salt that preserves. We're keeping the judgment of God, the wrath of God off of these people. They're not sharp enough to see that. You look down and say, there's a bunch of kids tearing things up. I'm going to go down there. Oh, my kid's in there. Well, I'm, well, I'm not going to kill them all. <laughs> I got one of mine's in there. Some of mine are in there. And we're the light of the world. We're preserving the world from the wrath of God. And we're shining a light to expose who Christ is. We're exposing the, the beauty of the Savior of God. That's our job here. That's why last Sunday thrilled me. I couldn't quit grinning. A friend of mine came over and said, you're still grinning. And I said, yeah, I'm grinning. Seven people today come up out of the water and said this, I want to live for Christ and I want that to be my witness. I want to identify with Jesus Christ. Now it's up to you all to do it. But I'm thrilled you said it. And I'm thrilled we talked about that and Everyone knew what they were saying and what they were doing. And, and the preacher told me when I was 10 years old, I got, I got baptized. He said, this is what it is. And I said, okay. Can I tell you, I've failed the Lord a thousand ways since then. He's never failed me once. But if you ask me, I'll tell you, I believe him. I guess from time to time, I, I get weak and believe in me a little more. I don't know what, what sin is exactly, but I trust him. And I trust him with my soul and my eternity. And I have since I was 10 years old. Never been ashamed to say that to people. And that's what, that's what baptism is. I identify with my Lord and I want to live as pleasing. I want him to be my Lord now. And so the Lord said, now, you people are the salt and the light of this world. As long as the church is here, listen, folks, they don't get it. It's us and they. Paul says it over and over. We read it in, in Hebrews chapter 4 in the first two verses. What's the difference? The gospel was preached unto all of us, but unto them who didn't mingle it with faith, it did no good. And so they're just angry against God. They want to be God. They have this God complex and these crazy egos, and they want to rule the world, and they want to own everything. And they'll tell you that. The Georgia Guidestones down there tell you they want to depopulate the world by 90% and rule the world and say this, we want what we choose to be left after a purging of 90% to be our slaves. Who's slaves? 1%. 1% are what they call in their mind the elites of the world, and they want who has left out of the other 10% that they choose to allow to be left. That's their way of saying it. God already said, no, that's not a problem for us. They don't get it. It's not going to happen. The purging isn't going to come by some antichrist group. It's going to come by Christ himself. Now, are things going to get ugly? Amen, brother. Boy, it's going to get ugly. But the ugly part, if you're a Christian today, you'll not be here for that. 
we're going to see tribulation. We've already in some tribulation. If my kids knew, if my kids knew exactly the difference between what they're going through raising their children and what my grandparents did, it would be alarming. Right. Amen. It used to be a used to be a badge of honor to be a Christian boy and Christian girl in school. It used to be taught in school. It used to be prayer in school. There used to be allegiances in school. There used to be a, a, a patriotic view of the United States, and it was a wonderful thing to be part of that and have that in you. Now it's a black eye. Right. Now it's a thing of dishonor. And if I say I love my country, what I'm saying is I hate yours. If I say I love my privileges as Americans, I'm saying I'm, I don't want you to have anything in your life. That's not what we're saying at all. We've never said that. That's not what the Bible teaches, but that's what the people who are sinister in this world are leading other people who are not very sharp to believe. People who are not led of the Holy Spirit are going to believe this. These things today of my rights, my rights, and my rights have totally pushed out my responsibility. I have all these rights in the world. You can't... You know what I'm talking about, folks. Everybody here knows what I'm talking about. I have all these rights. But it totally negates responsibility. You know what the Lord said? I give you things as a gift, and it's your responsibility. It's your responsibility to give that to the world. We're seen as a, we're seen as a channel in this world to help those who don't get it, don't understand, don't believe now, we spent our first hour up here, and I was pretty hard on people. and wasn't much smiling going on, but the Lord said in the book of Hebrews, how shall we, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? And you can, you can neglect salvation by two methods, and one of them is to obtain it. You can neglect salvation to obtain salvation. You can neglect to get saved. And the other thing is you can get saved, and you can neglect to maintain it. You can neglect it twice, either by not obtaining it, or you can neglect it by not maintaining it. And uh, of the two, lack of maintenance is the best choice, because at least you'll be in heaven. But I want to say this to you. The Lord doesn't deal lightly with either one of those. Chapter 2 of, of Hebrews in verse 1 says, Now the things which we have heard... We ought to take an earnest heed of the things which we have heard. Take an honest, honest inventory of the things that we have heard, lest at any time we let those things slip. Why? Because we have a generation after us. It's our responsibility. How many dads, how many dads in my lifetime have come to me and said, I'm not pushing anything on my kids. They're pretty smart. I'm going to let them go out and just find their way. The Bible says train up a child in the way he should go. Right. The Bible says, Dad, guess what? The Lord says, I've blessed you with children. And isn't that something, how the world sees that today? But I'm telling you, if you have a baby, you've got a blessing. Amen, brother. If you've got a wife, man, you've got a blessing. That's right. And if you've got a husband, you've got trouble. But if you've got a wife, you've got a blessing, according to the Bible. According to the Bible, the Bible says, He that findeth a wife findeth a good thing. That's right. And obtains favor of the Lord. That's it. Now let me tell you this. When the kids come along, look how in my generation, in my generation, you people about my age and you're here, listen, look how, look how the fruit of the womb has changed in, in our opinion about what that means and the blessing of it. Look at the signs on the way to church today. Which is it? You want to kill them or leave them alive? You want to, 
By the way, I want you to know the Lord is pro-choice. Choose you this day who you will serve. He said, I want you to choose. But he says this. Read your Bible. In the book of Jeremiah, they were what they doing, and it's nothing different today. Sacrificing the babies to God Baal and Molech. And God said, I've seen what's going on down there. And I've changed the name of that. God changed the name of that valley to the Valley of Slaughter. The Valley of Slaughter. This thing going on in our country today is just sad. Oh, it's sad. The, the God is self now. Hmm. It's not Baal so, Asheroth, it's self. And so the Lord comes and he opens the seals. And as the horsemen are revealed, the restrainer now be taken out of the way. The restraint is the Holy Spirit. He's going to leave. His influence is going to leave. And so as we're here to, to be salt as a preservative, uh, hold the judgment back from the world, we're the light of the world to reveal. And the Bible says that, that the conditions of the world now are going to get worse and worse. Paul said to Timothy, he reminded Timothy there in the last days, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. That's 2 Timothy 3 and 13. And we can see that right before our very eyes. Now, the continuity of this book of Revelation shows an intensity of increasing amounts in the judgment itself. Now, here's something I want you to know as we get into this. and I'm going to, I really want you to know this. Chapter 6 through the end of the book of Revelation is a chronological development. 6 tells of the opening of the seals, and then 7 interrupts with an added special information. Chapters 8 and 9 resume the order of the events, the blowing of the trumpets. And then chapters 10 through 15 were given information again that's additional, it's parenthetical. 16 resumes the chronology of the pouring of the vials and the bowls. And more special material is provided in 17 and 18. That would be the great core judgment, the Babylon, the church, religious Babylon and commercial Babylon. The 19th chapter concludes the chronology of the events of the tribulation with some added material. And then the events of 20 through 22 are the consecutive order of some additional information about the New Jerusalem. Now, the reason I tell you that, I want you to understand that is, it's intermittent through the book of Revelation, and if you read that as one event, it doesn't make sense. And people say, I can't understand that. Well, he gives you the events and then throws in some information. If I've, I grew up with a Schofield Bible. It's just what I have. It's, I'm not promoting anything. It's what I grew up with. That's what I've had and studied with. But chapter 7, the headline is parenthetical, the saved of the tribulation period. That's very helpful. It's different. So the seals are open. Here's what Christ is going to do. Christ is going to allow, as he opens the seals, the Bible teaches there's two time frames that are going to be absolutely 
the chronology of the, the history of the world events. One is the time of Christ coming to the earth as a baby. And the Bible says in the book of Galatians in chapter 4, I believe, but it's the book of Galatians, that Christ came in the fullness of time. Now when you read the book of John, and this is something that I think is fascinating when you study the Bible, it says in John chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, you know that one? And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so I'm reading my little books, and, and uh, I got a lot of little books, I love to read little books, and I'm reading this little book, and it's given the Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic, and it says these things, but it says, here's what really happened, and a friend of ours uh, was telling us this in our living room about uh, six months ago, but he says this, in the beginning was the plan. The, the word, the capitalized word, word, is plan. In the beginning was the plan. And the plan is capitalized word, so we know it's Jesus. In the beginning was the plan. The plan was from God. It was God's plan. And the plan was God. And so Jesus Christ is the plan. And the Bible says that Jesus was born in the fullness of time. He was born exactly when he needed to be born, in the place he needed to be born, to do the work he was going to do. That's, that's God's plan, and it played out perfectly. Amen. The second part of that plan, as far as timing goes, is this. To open the seals in heaven to open the seals and to execute judgment upon the earth. And what people don't seem to understand in my thinking is this, what the Lord is going to do, and the souls are saying, Lord, how long? The souls under the altar are saying, how long will you let this go on? Look what they're doing. They killed us. They killed us for our testimony. Why don't you avenge our blood? Now, I understand that, don't you? You understand if there's someone who loved you and was taking care of you and had the ability and they could avenge your suffering for the right purposes, why don't you stop this thing? What people don't seem to get is that parenthetically the filler, I think that's a bad word, the information given between the chronological events in the book of Revelation is nothing more or less than the Lord after he opened seals and the cause in heaven has an effect on earth, the Lord's letting mankind destroy themselves. It is where the church is already gone. It's the Lord saying this, just like he did with Moses and the plagues. Oh, is that what you want? Help yourself. Is that what you want? And the deception in the world is going to be so great when the Antichrist comes, he's going to be the one with the, with the arrowless bow and with the crown of victory and the white horse, and he's going to deceive the world so bad, he's going to have this false peace that he's preaching, and as he comes in pe preaching that peace, the world at large is going to believe they're going into what they, we, we call the millennium. They're going to be going into a time when it's beautiful and everything's peaceful and all of that, when they're actually being led in straight to slaughter into the tribulation itself. The Antichrist is going to make a covenant with the Jews, with Israel, for peace and all the things that Israel wants and they're, all the world's going to... Now listen, can't you see already? I mean, after we're gone particularly, but can't you see already the world's going to be chanting for somebody to bring peace and order to get us out of this ridiculous chaos? Today, in the higher officials of our land, I've never seen such stupid ideas promoted to destroy instead of help. I've never, I don't care what party you're with, I've never seen such ignorant and stupid things happening to a nation that we have today. It's, it is a very clear plan to destroy us. You don't believe that? You think it's harsh? Get back and look at it again. 
It's not, but listen, that, that's, what, that's what people want. That's the deception of the world. And so when the, when the time is right, the church is gone. And do you know there's already a doctrine in place for when the church is gone? There was a cleansing. There was a cleansing. And UFOs got involved and, and other planets got involved. And we just, this beautiful cleansing took all the bad people away and now we have this world. And they're going to go into a headlong evil time of evil men waxing worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived where the people are going to be in such pain. When the Antichrist comes on board, they're going to be so glad that this person has come to fix it all. And for three and a half years, this satanic liar is going to lie and be a schmoozer and do all these things. And in three and a half years, he's going to say this. It's over. I'm done. The covenant I wrote means nothing. I don't care about you. I don't care about the world. Unless you take the name and the number of the beast and worship me, you die. It'll cost your life. Now, there will be people saved during the tribulation. There will be people saved during the tribulation. But unlike you and me, it will cost their life immediately. As soon as they're found out, discovered, and caught, it will cost them. They'll be beheaded for their belief. Aren't you glad for the rapture? Amen, brother. Aren't you glad the Lord's going to come back here one day and say, this family, let's go. You kid, let's go. All of Come on, my children, let's go. I got some work to do now, and it's going to get real bad. You don't need to be part of it. And so I'm going to take you home, and we're going to talk about your performance as children. We're going to talk about that. But you're not going through what I planned for the world who have rejected me. You won't be part of that. That's why I push so hard for us. Get our kids saved. Get our family members who don't see the reason to be saved. They're under a great delusion. It isn't, it isn't we're better than them, brighter than them. It's just that there's a, there has to be a delusion for people to think, I can live how I want to. I know, I know what salvation is. And I'm saved, they'll tell you that at least as much. I know what it is, but I have no interest in Christ. I don't, I don't want to love him. I don't want to live for him. I want to do what I want to do. See, this is the thing that, Don, you, you're not smart enough to understand. I've been told how stupid I am by, by everybody I care about. You're so stupid, you don't get it. I want to do what I want to do. I know what the Bible says, and I got saved, but I got to do this because I'm me, and you don't get it, and blah, blah, blah. I said, you're going to stand before the Christ. Here's my one sentence to the world that comes back every time they hit me. That is not going to go well. I learned it as a boy. When the authority in our home left in the morning with some explicit things for us to get done, it was coming back at 6 o'clock. If we didn't do them, it didn't go well. That was a little bitty thing of someone who wasn't God, but was my authority, and much bigger and stronger than me. I got a couple times I got blows from my father. I didn't know what hit me. And it wasn't even, it wasn't even being mean or harsh. It was just like, I thought, boy, if he ever unleashes, I'm dead. Why does the world not understand with you and me? Why does the world not see? Why do we have family members and friends and co-workers who cannot see this truth? One of these days, the Lord's coming back. That's right. Amen. The first time he's not coming to the earth, he's going to be in the air and call his church out. The first time is not the rapture, he's not coming to the earth. 
He's coming to be in the clouds and call his church out. The second time when he comes back, in the, look at the 19th chapter of Revelation, he comes back on a white horse. And on his thigh was a new name written, Faithful and True, the only God. And all of us, all the saints are going to be on white horses behind him in white robes. And guess what we do in the battle? We watch it. We do nothing in the battle but watch it. It says, and from his mouth goes a sharp two-edged sword to devour the enemies of God. You know what we're going to do? Worship. We're going to be on white horses and white robes behind our Christ. And, see, and, and Satan's going to rally his forces on the battlefield of Armageddon. And you know what's going to happen? The Lord's going to wipe them out. And that is the last of Satan. That's the last of him. And people say, no, it's not, because in the 20th chapter it says he comes back, but look what it says. He rallies the forces, get them ready to go, and it says, and a fire falls from heaven and just burns them up. Right. Lord said, I'm done with that. He's not going to have it. He's done. But if you'll learn with me and know with me that these, these, these uh, things are not in perfect chronological order, they are if you know how to read them, but in between the chronological events, there's added information in there for you and me to make it all fit together. And the last of the chapter we read today, it said that men are going to fall on and say, let the, let the earth and the mountains and the rocks fall on us. It says in, in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15 there, you read it for yourself, and I saw a great white throne. And the rest of the dead stood before the Lord. And the books were opened. You know what books those are? Folks. At the day that we beat the Lord, it's over. We've, we've done what we're going to do, and we're going where we're going. It's just the announcement to be made. There's no arguing. There's no buts. There's no ifs. There's no what if. What, what about? There's none of that. The Lord knows perfectly, and he says this. If you're not part of the rapture, you still can be saved if you're on earth during the tribulation costs your life. But if you're standing before the white throne, it's just a matter of what kind of hell you're going to suffer for eternity, how bad it's going to be. Do you know anybody you want to go there? I have family members I've heard them say they hope somebody goes there. Not me. Not me. I've been, I've been treated badly by some folks, and so have you. There's some things, particularly in our youth, and we're trying to figure out what the world was doing. We got caught up and got hurt. And then we got married and got hurt some more. You know why? Because we're living with people. But that's just what happens. And sometimes, and I've been hurt by people who set out to hurt me. I don't want them to go to hell. I don't want them to go to hell. I got a couple I think are headlong going and they, they're glad they think they're smart about it, but I say it's not mine. I don't pray for them to go to hell. I pray for them to find the Christ. Do you see our job? Do you see with me our job this morning while we're here? We're buried with him in baptism, raised to a newness of life. That. What? That we can go out in this world and be light and salt. We can shed a light on these things. I don't know what you do every day. I know what some of you do every day, but I know what I do every day. And the world's dark. Very dark. 
people you think are good people and they're, and they're fine, they're nice friends, that they what they believe in and what they're voting for and everything, you can't hardly stand it. So you believe in that? Yeah? You believe in that? Our families get divided pretty quick, don't they? Between what we believe and what we don't. But I'm telling you this, I never asked anybody to believe me. Never have. But I asked him to believe the Bible. And the Lord said, when I come back, we're going to talk. Close with this statement. Not even what I did and didn't do that the Lord's going to judge. Not even did you mind and obey me for your benefit, for your reward. Do you know the people out there that are going to go to hell because you didn't do what I told you to do? The collateral damage of your disobedience? you even care about that? When I told you to witness that, man, oh, that was his last chance. I was driving down 24 Highway when I was in my early 20s, and if I understand it at all, if I know what I'm talking about, the Lord told me to go witness to a fellow. I had one day off. I was busy. Isn't that your excuse? I'm busy. I had one day off. I had a load of gravel on my truck. I was putting in a, dr a driveway for a garage I just built. And the Lord said, I want you to go over to this house and witness to him. And I said, I'll go tomorrow. Where's this story going? And I said, Lord, I'll go tomorrow. He said, I want you to go witness to And I told the Lord, I'm sweating. I got a headband on. I'm shoveling rock perfect body so I'm sweating it must be really hot I'm sweating and I'm doing that the Lord said clear the bell go witness to him go witness to him my truck's half full of rock I thought I'm driving down that road my other car my car was sitting in the shade I thought the Lord told me to sit in the shade go over and get in that car and go witness to him right now I said yeah I'm busy He died about 9.30 that night. You know what his wife said? He was wanting to talk to you. I've heard that in my ears a million times. You think I'll hear that again one day? You think I'm going to hear that story again one day? Did you go talk to him? No, I didn't. Why not? I was busy. I've wondered a million times would he have been saved if I went and played with him one more time? He knew he was dying. Would he have received Christ? I think he would have. Well, I said, you go talk to him now. I didn't do it. I'm not doing that again. By the grace of God and strength in me, I'm not doing that again. If I can get out of bed and walk, if I can get there, I'm going to go. And if the worst thing he can say to me is, I told you I don't believe it, get out of my house, I feel bad, I'm dying, get away from me, I'll say yes. I'll try it. And I'll go home. Folks, if you know the truth and people around you don't, I know they're aggravating, I know they'll drive you completely to distraction. But we're supposed to pray for them and not on them. We pray for them. Pray for them. God, we just thank you now. Our Lord and Savior is goodness to us is unbelievable. It's really 
beyond our apprehension. And so, Father, we just thank you today that this hour has been ours to share with you. We ask now that you would absolutely help us appropriate the truths of the Word of God. That we would see this book as your prophecy, which is your telling the future before it happens. And the reason is that the world may know. And help us to know. Help us to find joy in our Lord. Help us to find joy in our life for Him and with Him. And Father, we just ask now for strength and understanding and peace. Bless everyone here this morning and their families, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Page 262, verses 1 and 2. 